Well, g'day there and welcome to the Oak City Church podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today for another encouraging message from our Sunday gatherings of Oak City Church. If we can connect with you in any way, please see us at oakcitychurch.com.au or check out our socials online. We hope to see you in person soon. Um, in our household, 
Jess and I are very, very different, okay? She's the one that's like, yeah, bye. And she's out the door. There's very little hanging around. Uh, I wouldn't dare say emotion because she's a very emotional person in other ways, but she doesn't like goodbyes. She's very quick to get out the door. Whereas I'm like, I like long, drawn out, emotional, you know, give me a kiss, give me a snuggle, whatever it might be. I'm a goodbyes person. Um, and I guess if you think about some of the great movies that have been out there, there's been some very famous goodbyes. Um, there's been Gandalf, <laughs> if we've got some Lord of the Rings fans out there, as he was saying goodbye in The Return of the King, and his quest to take the Um I was never the biggest fan of this movie, but there was E.T. There was that very emotional goodbye, finger thing. Um, there was, uh, and I think this is potentially the most emotional goodbye in my childhood when it came to the movie. There was Andy saying goodbye to Lizzie and Buzz, okay? If that didn't leave you weeping, then you don't have a soul, okay? Because that was a very emotional moment. And, and I know there are a select people in Oak City Church who have a particular passion for a TV show that we like together. This is potentially one of the saddest goodbyes, okay? Michael saying goodbye to Pam in the American office. If you don't know it, then, well, there's some homework for you coming out of this on Sunday. Um, but there's something quite significant about goodbyes. When you say goodbye to someone, you tend to use that as a moment. Not always, but you tend to use that as a moment to say how you feel about yourself, or to give advice for the future, or to want to really communicate something of significance. I can remember when I first moved out of home, uh, my dad, who's not a very emotional person, that was probably like the most clear in his emotions that he's ever been. It was that moment he actually took to say some things to me that he could have said in previous 21 years, but he waited for the last five minutes as I was about to leave. Uh, it's like when Liam's about to run onto the footy field and I say, oh, take out their legs. And, you know, we tend to use those moments to communicate something that is of significance. And we see this very much in Jesus' final words to his disciples. Now, many of you would have read uh, this scripture before. It is known as the Great Commission. Of course, the great part wasn't in the original scriptures. That's because... It's been of such significance to God's church that we call it the Great Commission. Now, just as a bit of a backdrop as to where we're at in Jesus' life here, is that he has just been, you know, just a little old thing called the resurrection. Where he's resurrected from the dead, he has promised this to his disciples, he has come back to his friends, and for the first kind of, you know, time, a lot of people just didn't believe him. But he spent time with his disciples, showing them the words in his hands, telling them and promising them that this is then going to go forth as he is about to ascend. So he is about to do the, the ninja disappearance, go up into the sky and live with his father for all eternity. And he chooses to say these words. This is his goodbye to his disciples. This is a moment of great significance. And we read these words. Then Jesus came to them, I'm reading from Matthew 28, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore he has given it to his disciples. Catch that. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. They were Jesus' last words, and they're to be our first priority. Jesus was so clear on this after three intentional years with a ragtag group of nobodies who he chose to invest into that they would then go on to change the world. Now we often misread this and go, oh, does that mean I need to get on a plane? Does that mean I need to go overseas? Because it says all the nations. But actually it is better read in the original language, as you go, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. If you don't know what the word disciple means, it literally means learner. In fact, I think a better word for it, and Jeff mentioned this last week, is apprentice. So go and make apprentices of the kingdom. And the way that we do this great commission, this thing that Jesus has entrusted to us, saying that he would be with us. And I just have to reiterate that this is not just an optional extra Christianity. This is actually the thing that Jesus tells us to do. And the way that we do the Great Commission is by doing the Great Commandment. By loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength and might, and our neighbours as ourselves. Now I don't know about you, but I reckon the average response to a scripture like that, even right now, sitting down, you know, percolating whatever might be going through your head, is one of great intimidation. I read that and I go, I can't do it. There's a deep gulp and sense within my stomach of that's for somebody else. That's for the crazy evangelist lady. That's for the person who's been a Christian for 30 years. Um, that's for the person who is in paid ministry. That's the person who's more extroverted. That's the person who has been trained more than I have. That is the person who doesn't work full time and have three children. That is for that person. And I think when we come to a scripture like this, uh, many of us get very, very intimidated. Remembering that Jesus chose to invest in the few for the sake of the many. Jesus chose to spend almost all of his time with these 12 guys who everybody else would say, they are not on your MVP list. They are at the bottom of the draft. We are the last guys that are being picked in school sport. And Jesus intentionally chose those guys to say, I'm going to invest in these guys and show them how to do it in order to change the world. But I think if we're really honest, and I apologise if some of that writing is too small, I will read out um, some of that for us. Um, if we are really honest in, in Western Christianity, even in sometimes the way we feel about our relationship with Jesus, we have become very stunted. In fact, Australia has seen six decades of church decline. Now, in my opinion, that has nothing to do with God, the unchanging, timeless one. We have a discipleship problem. We have a problem when it comes to being shaped and formed into the image of Jesus, but then again, 
how do I share that with you? Because Jesus is very explicit that he came to seek and save the lost. That great commission is not just a, oh, if you like, come on, make disciples. That is his commission to the original disciples and to us. Yet I do have some good news for you that this last decade, the seventh decade, Christianity Australia has actually plateaued. Hey, that's worth celebrating. <laughs> we haven't gone down. We've plateaued. But we have a discipleship problem. And that's not for lack of content or church services. There are more podcasts, more books, more sermons, more Christian CDs, more availability to Christian services than the world has ever seen. It's got nothing to do with content. Yet I think if you and I were to ask ourselves the question, firstly, what is a disciple of Jesus? How do I become like one? And how do I lead somebody else to disciple themselves, uh, to disciple them to a point of putting their trust in Jesus? Many of us will feel lost. And I want you to hear that this morning, not as a condemning statement. That is not something going, you're wrong, I'm wrong, we all suck. That is not what I'm trying to say this morning. But a good mentor friend of mine says these words. He says, in the context of a loving relationship, which this is what church is, a loving relationship, truth is your friend. Let me repeat that again because that's quite significant. In the context of a loving relationship, truth is your friend. And if we don't confront the reality of some of these things, then we're just going to be oblivious, head in the clouds, ignore what's really going on around us. But in the context of a loving relationship, we can say, we have a discipleship problem in Jesus. We need your help. We need your help. Um, and I don't want this to sound like some... Trust me, I'm getting to the good stuff. I know, I know some of that can sound heavy to begin with. But I'm greatly void, and I heard this quote in the last week. Uh, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but it said that the greatest renewals happen in the moments of the greatest crisis. In Western Christianity, in Australia, just to call a spade a spade, we are in something of a crisis. COVID has brought that to the surface. Um, in, in talking to a lot of other friends in ministry, there is no church that has been immune from the fact that when this whole pandemic thing happened, the church struggled. Like, that, that, that's just a fact. That's just a, a thing that we have experienced. But actually coming out of the ashes, I don't know if you've heard some of those beautiful scriptures that God delights in bringing beauty out of ashes. God delights in actually bringing life to those things that have been dead. We sung about God breathing upon dry bones. Actually, this is a moment of enormous opportunity, not just in Oak City Church, but also in the Australian church. If we can get back to what it really means to be a disciple and to be one that then makes disciples. Um, I think if you've grown up in church, um, you've probably been pretty familiar with some things around Jesus. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard a whole bunch about the words of Jesus. A lot of the things that Jesus said. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, you probably quote some things like, love one another as I love you. Um, you've probably even heard about some of the amazing works that Jesus did. 
healing, feeding people, bringing people back to life. If, if, if you've been around a church for any length of time, you're probably pretty well versed in those two things. But where a lot of us actually come undone is we don't look at the ways of Jesus. How did Jesus do what he did? How did he choose to spend his time? Why did he only hang out with 12 people for almost three years? He could have had a far greater impact if he wrote a strategy document and, and got the best people on his team. Why did he choose to spend the time doing those things? And that's why um, fundamentally, and what I'm so excited to announce is our great theme for 2022, is practicing the ways of Jesus. We want to do a deep dive thematically in terms of when we gather together, but also there's going to be more detail to come around what that looks like practically. But how do we actually begin to learn the ways of Jesus? The things that he did, the way that he was able to raise men and women up, that they would go and then change the world. These, these, these people, like I said, who, who had no expertise, they hadn't been within the Jewish synagogue, Jesus chose those people who were as far away as possible, yet then he built his church upon them by practicing certain ways. Another great way to think about it is like this. We want to learn what it's like to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the things that he did. That's a really simple way to think about it. As a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, how can we learn to be with him? Because Jesus spent a good proportion of his time away from people by himself with the Father. Everything came out of that place. That wasn't an optional thing that he went, oh crap, my life's falling apart, what do you want to spend time with Dad? Everything came out of that place. But then, of course, he was the Son of God, but those disciples who started to hang around Jesus, they became transformed. Very quickly, the, the sons of thunder, not just you know because of their bowel movements, <laughs> not just because they, they were borderline terrorists in that day, he became the beloved one of God. They were transformed by being with Jesus and becoming like him. And then they went on because, you know, um, being is doing. And so when you're being with and like Jesus, you naturally want to do the things that he's passionate about. And so they started to be able to lead more and more people to be able to put their trust in the kingdom. C.S. Lewis says that we are to be little Jesuses. That's what a Christian is. A little Jesus. Now, um, as we look at next year, um, just to give a bit of an overview, that's it's really two sides of the same coin. For so long, many of us have thought about discipleship as, oh, that's that thing that I do uh, when I've been a, after I've become a Christian. And I get learn lots of things, I do a discipleship class, um, and, and, um, but then when it comes to the whole sharing my faith with people, that's this thing we call evangelism. Actually, in Jesus' ways of doing things, they are one and the same thing. They are not separated. It's not like, oh, I've been disciple now, now I can go and be an evangelist. Actually, to be a disciple is to grow and be shaped into the image of Jesus. But also, how are you inviting and discipling people towards Jesus? We're going to get to it in just a moment, but we have this fake, false way of thinking that says, um, Jesus only discipled those who put their trust in him. Jesus spent so much time with people that would never go anywhere near the church. 
He was discipling them towards conversion. Not once they had crossed the chicken wire and said, oh, I want to follow you, Jesus. He was discipling people towards conversion. Um, I love this quote. A guy called Robert Mulholland, who is a really well-known writer in Christian spiritual formation, he says this, Spiritual formation is firstly the process of being conformed. So we are being shaped. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. I don't know about you guys, when I became a Christian, my life didn't suddenly become some you know, amazing, shining, bright example to the world. It was a process. It happens over time of being conformed into the image of Jesus. One of the most potent things about the disciple of Jesus is that increasingly so over time, as I see Alan, as I see Ben, or as I see Lucy, I go, I can see Jesus being formed in them. There's something of Jesus coming through in their life. Yet here's the kicker at the end as well. It's not just for me and my own. It's for the sake of other people. It's for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. It's for the sake of those who, who maybe you're cheering on and championing on, even within this community, you are coming alongside them. I love what Ben said recently. He said, sometimes we need to learn at the elbow. It's like we need to come alongside people and learn from them. It's for the sake of others. Now let us look at a, a quick scripture and then I'm going to begin to wind things up. So just another three hours of jokes. Okay? <laughs> um, this is a scripture that many of you would have heard of before if you've been around church for some time. And, and we can spend a lot of time on this. In fact, next year I'm already planning this thing to Sunday just on this passage. Because it is so significant. Let me read it for us. Mark 8, 34-37. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples. You need to note even here that Jesus was with the masses. Okay? That's quite significant. There were lots of people who thought that Jesus was a good idea. There were very few that actually chose to follow him. Now that's not saying that Jesus didn't like crowds. That's that Jesus also had some very challenging things to say to people. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Gosh, we can just stop there. To give up your own way. And that's not said with cruelty. That's said because what God wants for us is something far greater. You must take up your cross and you must follow Him. If you're trying to hang on to your life, you will lose it. One of the things maybe in our own lives we're trying to hang on to, but really it's just like sand going through our fingers. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Now, I'm pretty sure, much like in today's standards, that would have gone down like a lead balloon. Yes, we, we out, okay? That's a very confronting thing for Jesus to have said. You know, the context of this is this is just after Jesus had fed 4,000 men, so there was probably a bunch load of women and kids there too. Jesus was saying this to a very, very large in fact, the Passion Translation says it this way, you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own. You must continually surrender to his ways. Now, like I said, uh, Jesus was always incredibly high on invitation. In fact, Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton 
because he hung out with that crowd so often. The Pharisees, the religious people who persecuted him, thought that he was a bad guy because he was hanging out with people that you shouldn't hang out with them if you're a fool follower. You shouldn't spend time with them. Jesus was incredibly high on invitation. He was ridiculed because of this. Yeah, and I, and I love seeing this actually in a social media post that, that Robin posted this week as well. Jesus was also incredibly high on challenge. The closer that you got to Jesus, the more he would challenge you. And that's not because he didn't love you, it's because he wanted you to be shaped into the kingdom. So Jesus had this really low bar for people who didn't know him. He had an incredibly high tolerance for people who were failing, people who weren't getting their life order. But as you started to follow him, he had a very low tolerance for disobedience, for people who said, oh, it's too hard, I can't fit that in. So it's almost like the closer that you got to Jesus, the more he would challenge you, because you were becoming one of his representatives. Um, you see this in examples of like the scripture that we literally just read, or even that passage I'm sure many of you have read before, where, where Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That would have gone down well. But that was a rebuke. That was a challenge. That was actually you're not thinking the way that God thinks. You need to change your way of thinking. That's literally what repentance in the New Testament means. Um, there's a guy called Monty Roberts, okay? Now, Monty Roberts is a horse trainer. I don't know who's ridden a horse before, a couple of people, where there's, there's people who are called, like, horse adjusters. They break in horses, okay? So they're the people that take a horse from being a wild horse to being one that can be ridden and is kind of domestically tamed. Monty Roberts is known globally as being one of the best horse breaker eaters or adjusters. Hence why you know, meeting the queen right there. And Monty would say that when it comes to breaking in a horse, it's two things. It's invitation. You need to develop a relationship with that horse. You need to connect with that horse. You need to develop a level of intimacy with that horse that will let you come up and pat it and actually have something of a relationship with that horse. But you also need to challenge the horse. It's not all nicey-nicey. Sometimes you need to, in appropriate ways, and I'm using for hours, um, you need to challenge that horse to behave itself. So actually, someone can get on that horse and not be bucked off. Now, it's exactly the same with our discipleship. When it comes to following Jesus, we need to experience the invitation of Jesus as well as the challenge of Jesus. Um, God loves us so much that sometimes he will pick us up on things that are not good for us. That he will discipline us. You know, the New Testament says that a loving father disciplines those who love. And so often in churches, and this is a broad sweeping statement here, we are really high on invitation and really low on challenge. We much prefer to just stay in this cozy zone. You know, Come along, you know, everything's fine, don't worry about it, but hey, if you challenge me, if you nick me off, we're not friends anymore. Really high on invitation, low on challenge. Maybe some of us have even been in an environment where we're, we're low on invitation and, and just 
while on challenge, which is to develop a really apathetic approach to life. Maybe you've been in a place where you just challenge all the time and never encourage. No invitation, just feel really, really discouraged. But what we want to create, and, and this is going to be a journey of the next couple of years, what we believe that God is leading us in as a church, is to create a culture where we are high on invitation, yet equally high on challenge. And where we see empowered disciples made. Not just those who sit in the cosy space. And hear me, there is a season for everything. Maybe you're in a season of life where you just need cosy. You just need the love of God. But God doesn't want you to stay there. God does not want you to camp out in here. He wants you to move into a place where you are empowered to actually use the gifts and abilities and the things that he's called you to do in order to come back to that passage that we were looking at before to make disciples. We want to be a church that makes disciples. I say that unashamedly that this church, while we always want to see those who are here going deeper in their faith, we are also prayerful for those who are not in this world right now. We want to go out into the cities and to the communities and the suburbs of Blacktown and Western Sydney and make disciples. And we want the church to be empowered and really able to do that. Yet sometimes, when it comes to going from cosy to empowered, um, so we've been doing a lot of training around this stuff with a group called Building a Disciple Culture. I've mentioned it a couple of times at church. We think that you jump straight over from cosy to empower disciples. But actually, sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes there is discouragement that comes. When someone tells me that there's things in my life uh, that maybe need to be shaped into the image of Jesus, or someone holds me account to some of the things that I say, Sometimes I don't like that. I go down into that point of being discouraged. But actually, I want to encourage us as we enter into 2022 to stay the course. And they talk about as part of building a cycling culture that there will be discouragement. They even call this little thing the valley of the shadow of death, where you feel like you're dying. I can imagine that when Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, he got real small. He just would have shrunk back into the corner. But it was actually for Peter's good. It was for Peter's good that he would go on to be the one in whom God would build his church upon. But he needed to be challenged. He needed to experience that rebuke in order to become an empowered disciple. Now please hear me. We're not saying, get behind me, Satan, to Chris. That's not the type of church that we are. But we are saying... But for those who are saying that they want to follow Jesus, we want to invite and we want to challenge. If it's all invitation, it's just cosy. We desperate ourselves, we become a Sunday club. There is challenge that is coming. And we as a church effectively want to commission the whole church ongoing into full-time ministry. Did you know that each and every one of us are called to full-time ministry? And I don't mean that being paid by a church or being a pastor, but you are called to make the primary calling in life to seek first the kingdom and to make the disciples. A guy called Ed Stetzer said these words. He said, we make the church a theatre and are then surprised when people respond like theatre goers. This is not about coming in for an hour on a Sunday, getting out sweet, tick done. I can tick that off for the next couple of weeks done my Christian duty. That's not what being a disciple of Jesus is. 
being a disciple of Jesus is one who is being shaped more and more into the image of Christ for the sake of others, for the community of Oak City, for the city of Blacktown that doesn't yet know the Lord. And like I said, we're going to dig deeper into what this looks like more in 2022. I do want to say two more quick things before I wrap this up. We're going to to celebrate communion this morning. Um, We've got a, a big vision next year in terms of a couple of things. Firstly, we believe that there's a real faith step, partially due to COVID, to move into this hall. But our prayer for next year is that we would begin to fill this hall up. Like we, we want to, we've got a whole half of the hall behind us that we can grow into. We want to see a hall of empowered disciples. Secondly, um, when it comes to finance, and I, we don't talk about money much at Oxford Church because we don't want that to be the thing that gets obsessed over. And God, in me, God does not have a money problem. Money does not intimidate God. Sometimes he has a disobedience problem with people. But God does not have a money problem. And one of the things that I've come to see is that God's resource runs to where his will is being done. Wherever God's will is being done, he will provide the resource for that. And we want to do all that we can in order to make disciples to do that appropriately. And so um, there's a couple of things I want to say. That next year we've got a, a bold vision to say, hey, we recognise that Oak City is like the uh, big part of Blacktown, is the youngest LGA in Sydney. There are more kids and, and teenagers in Blacktown than any other LGA. The average age of Blacktown is 30. That is incredibly young. And we recognise that for the sake of the kids that we're discipling, and also the young people that we're discipling, that next year we would love to be able to put someone in a generation's capacity. We want to be able to employ someone that can be focused on kids. We know as our kids who are already here growing up, but also as people look to find the new church, the thing that you're looking for when you have kids is a kids' ministry. And so we'd really love next year as a big vision to go, hey, we want to find some, some um, financial support to support someone to come on as something of a generation's pastor or a kids' pastor. Um, the next thing that I'd say is uh, at the end of next year, we are also wrapping up our MOU, which is just a fancy word of our arrangement with Churches of Christ, where they've been supporting us in terms of administration and insurance and all of that stuff. We are praying that the Lord might provide someone either in a voluntary capacity or otherwise to go, hey, I'm really passionate about that stuff. I'd like to look after that. I think I can serve Oak City Church through doing that kind of stuff. So I just want to place that out there as a prayer request. Maybe that's you, maybe you know someone, maybe you can just join in prayer as we pray about that into next year. And then the very last thing that, that kind of is our prayer for next year is that we would continue to build Team Oak City. Now, if you don't know what Team Oak City is, that's pretty much people are saying, Either in a membership capacity, that's what we're meant to do in our AGM, but even I just want to get my hands dirty. What tends to happen in churches is 20% of people do 80% of the work. And actually, we need more people to say, Yeah, I want to get my hands dirty. I'm called to this thing. I want to get involved. And so, if you're one of those people who, who, who maybe has just been um, making Oak City home, and we love that, sometimes you just need a season. Maybe you know, the seasons of life are just not accommodating for you right now. But maybe it's also a moment for you to go, yeah, I'm going to get my hands dirty in 2022. I actually want to join with what God is doing in Blacktown in 2022. Now, I want to tie this up with a neat little bow. We're, we're about to have um, communion together. 
Um, and, and one of the, the kind of gospel encounters that I just couldn't shake this week, leading into Vision Sunday, um, was the, the moment where Jesus meets the woman at the well. I'm not going to pull up the verse, I'm not going to read it. Many of you would have heard of it before. G- uh, this woman who was at the well, who had been with multiple uh, men, who definitely was far away from the kingdom, Jesus chose to meet with her. Jesus chose to not condemn her, to not tell her all the things she was doing wrong, but actually to meet her with grace and truth, with invitation and challenge. And I actually said, going away from that encounter, she ran back to her village, and the village started to receive the good news of Jesus. There is something in the Gospels, there is something in the Kingdom, that when you receive Jesus, it doesn't just stay with you. It actually flows through you. And I just had a question for each and every one of us this morning. Because this can be very ethereal, very theoretical, very thinking. Who is your one? As we go into 2022, who is the one person, and maybe it's more, but I'm just asking for one this morning. Who is the one person that you are praying for? The one person that you are actually going to make a focal point of actually, Lord, I know that you want to use me to share the love of Jesus to them next year. I know, and sometimes we need to even repent to go, there's people in my life I honestly think that God could not save them. I think they're too far off. They're too far gone. There's no way that ever that Jesus could walk into their life. I want to ask us this morning, and in a moment I'm just going to put a song on in the background, uh, and you'll see that in the middle of the room, along with the communion emblems, there's also some sticky notes and a whole bunch of pens. What I want us to do this morning as we receive communion is, is you cannot receive the body and the blood of what Jesus has done for us and that, that amazing celebration that is available to anyone. You cannot receive that without also wondering who also needs Jesus? Like who, who is not at the table? Who, who is the one sheep that has gone away from the 99 that God wants you to commit this morning to pray for? Maybe you're in a place where you're not even quite sure oh, I'm not sure if I'm in for this Jesus stuff. Hey, give it a go. Because it's all well and good to talk about this stuff, but unless there is a culture of empowered disciples where people can actually see that Kate can take responsibility, that Ben can take responsibility, that Jess can take responsibility, this is an all of the family thing. And imagine, just imagine, if in 12 months, by some miracle and you know that God were able to do incredible things with our prayers and actually committed to this thing we would have doubled in 12 months. Just do the math on that. Like if every single person committed to one person to see them become a disciple of Jesus, we would have doubled in 12 months. Sometimes one can seem like an intimidating prospect. Sometimes if we say we want to see this all filled up, that's never going to happen. But one person, God is always focused on the one. And so I'm about to put that song on, and as you come and receive your emblem, I would love you to pick up a pen. I would love you to pick up a, a, a pad. And I just want you to sit there before you even receive communion for 30 seconds and go, God, bring someone to mind this morning. I'm not going to ask you to give it to them. You're not going to stick it up on a wall. You're going to fold it up and you're going to put it in your pocket or you're going to put it in your Bible. 
And that is going to be the person that you can commit to praying for in 2022. So in your own time, come and receive the emblems. Grab a pen and a pad. And um, at the end, I'll pray for us as we receive the juice together.